is the Fightback Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. All right, welcome to the Fight Back Podcast, Adrian. Um, so everyone, Adrian is a breathwork and movement coach, and I met her through Mallory Martin, who you might have heard on a previous episode. So first questions first, of course, for the Fight Back Podcast, why do you think people say martial arts saved me? I got so nervous about this question. <laughs> Because I think that they do save people, right? Like you hear endless stories about I was addicted to drugs or I was behaving irrationally on the streets or I was abandoned by my family and I found martial arts. And I think like the coach-student relationship is really powerful. Having someone that believes in you so much that it inspires you to believe in yourself more. My personal experience with it was I was always just really into yoga, I guess, and not super active. Um, And my mom died and I was struggling super hard with depression and anxiety and like just finding any sort of oomph. And so I ended up driving by a jujitsu school and was like, well, I don't know, (laughs) I'll just go in. And I went in and it was like the first class. I think it was a two hour long class. And in those two hours, it was probably the first time I didn't think about my mom. And nearly two years or a year and a half, I would say. And I walked out and then I remembered my mom and I was like, holy shit, two hours of reprieve from, from all of those like uh, thoughts that are, they're not advantageous. They're just redundant and negative. Um, so then that was it. Then I just kind of dove into it head first. And I was living in America at that time. Um, did a bunch of classes here and then went to Thailand and started really going for it and just dedicated one year to like 20 hours a week of training nonstop. And I loved it. And it taught me grit, you know, it taught me how to like, (laughs) how tired and sore I get on the mat. Nothing else in my fucking day is going to be as uncomfortable as that. So it just kind of builds an endurance for me for tolerating other things, whether it's, negative headspace or negative people or negative situations. And when did you start breathwork coaching and how does that sort of fit in with that equation? That's a great question. Um, I think I started breathwork coaching around, I started learning it around 12 or 13 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then really started implementing it for people about 10 years ago. Um, It was profound for me when I started to learn it because I was very injured at the time and I was doing a yoga teacher training course where we had to have like 28 practices a month, physical practices a month that we had to write out and explain and talk about the sequencing and why we did it. But because I was so injured, I couldn't do any of the movements. So all I could do was put together breathwork practices um, and do those 28 days a month. And I just really noticed how much it changed Again, my endurance for discomfort and my ability to stay really calm in the midst of total chaos. And then over the years, just discovering how much it helped sleep and watching how it would 
uh, unlock emotions and help people deal with emotions or from make themselves more familiar with emotions like anxiety and happiness and freedom and space um, and energy and a lack of energy. So just like generally learning that more and more as I started to work with athletes, I became really fascinated with it. And the work with athletes probably started like five years ago, I would say. So what is breathwork then? So the breathwork that I do is ratioed breathwork. So with breathwork, there's four parts to it. There's the inhale, the retention, the exhale, and the suspension. And the inhale and the retention target the sympathetic nervous system. So the fight or flight part of the nervous system, which is also the part of the nervous system that like, gets us out of bed and gets us to socially engage with people and motivates us to achieve our goals and get things done. And then the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, is targeted by the exhale and the suspension of the breath. And that's the part where we recover, where we're able to sleep a little bit more, where we're able to self-regulate and calm ourselves down, where we're able to just bring our heart rate lower and see improvements generally in breathing and in the chest, like the health of the chest overall. And so how do you target those systems? Do you just make the inhale and the suspension longer if you want to engage a sympathetic and then do you just make the exhale longer if you want to engage a parasympathetic or is it more nuanced than that? It's definitely more nuanced than that, but that's a good like simplification of it. Like what Mallory talked about when she was on the podcast with you, Mm -hmm. I like take her up from an eight count to a 10 count to a 14 count on varying times. And a lot of it depends on what I'm trying to work. Like if I want the athletes or the clients HRV to improve and resting heart rate to improve, we really emphasize the work of the exhale and the retention, sorry, the suspension after the exhale. And that is one of the most uncomfortable parts for people because holding your breath out when the instinct to breathe in is so strong Hmm. And the instinct is so strong because of carbon monoxide in our system or CO2, carbon dioxide in our system, sorry. Mm-hmm. With the CO2 pumping through our, our body and pumping into it, the instinct to want to breathe is really powerful. However, it's not dangerous to hold the breath out for extended periods of time. Um, and then to build up energy and kind of stoke the fire for people doing more work on the inhale and the retention of the inhale is really big. And so you just mentioned HRV for anyone listening who's not familiar. Can you explain what that is? It's yes, to a degree, it's heart rate variability. So Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of variance that everybody's heart rate has. And the higher that that variance is, the healthier that your recovery and your heart are overall. When we're stressed and our sympathetic nervous system is overengaged or overactive, what happens is the HRV drops because our heart rate's doing a lot of spastic sort of movement and our heart rate's higher in general. So mm-hmm. I can, it's probably better if I just like attach an article on HRV because it's fairly in depth mm-hmm. and my explanation of it is very simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I always imagine it just like when you hear your heart pounding, it's so, it's so uniform. It's like, and there's not much variation. Whereas when your body has time to listen to all of the feedback, you know, chemical feedback, mechanical feedback within itself, then there's a lot more variation because every beat it's considering everything that's going on. And that 
that right. give of rest. I guess that's how I explain yeah. it. But that's great. That's a great explanation of it. And you can feel when you really slow your heart rate down, you can feel like the thump, 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 thump. You know, you can see like the big thump and then the like little thumps that come after it as well. I like the way you explained it much better. Not everybody. Um, so with the exhale, so I'm not sure if this is a common thing, but I find it so much easier to do a really long inhale. And then I'm trying to breathe out the exhale and I'm like, am I going too quickly? Like, why is it so much harder to hit like an eight or eight plus count on the exhale? It requires a lot more control of the diaphragm and the Mm -hmm. movement of the diaphragm. And it's much easier to just push the breath out, just like let it do its thing rather than hold it and restrict it and create that restriction and then slowly leak the breath out. Most of that is attributed to diaphragmatic movements, but then also considering that your sympathetic nervous system is probably overactive in that case and your parasympathetic is probably underactive. And the more that we exercise ratios with our breath work, the more that starts to come in sync. And with heart rate variability, one another thing about it is that it indicates like a higher HRV indicates your ability to switch modes much faster. So mm-hmm. you can amp up really quickly, but then you can turn it down really quickly as well. So if your sympathetic nervous system is really active, you're not able to turn that down as easily if the parasympathetic can't meet up with it. Wow. Okay. So if we think about for a little bit, the athlete side of things, which you've worked a lot with, that's something that you're working towards a lot is like between round recovery, their ability to get into like a parasympathetic. And so doing breath work, would you do it straight after a session? Would you do it, try and do it intermittently throughout a session before a session, all of the above? What do you recommend? All of the above really. Yep. I have, practices for them where I ask them to do them prior to training because it's going to activate the muscles in the chest and in the upper back. Mm -hmm. And that'll help kind of open up the lungs and activate the diaphragm so that as they're going through practice, their heart rate isn't redlining as often or as much. And then during activity, starting to ask people to make sure that they're trying to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth as much as they can, again, so that they're not redlining. The more that we redline, it's not that it's bad for us. It's important to push ourselves that way. But the more that we redline, the more that we lose track of our breath and the harder that our recovery is then going to become. Mm -hmm. So if we can breathe in and out through the nose, we're in control of everything. If we can breathe in and out through the mouth, we're in control of at least half of it. If we're breathing just through the mouth, we're no longer in control. So I have, there are practices that I have or techniques that I use, like with Mallory, I she has a very specific thing she does when she's competing or mm-hmm. when she's in between rounds in her training. And she's, taking, is, she's a fucking machine. She's yeah. a machine. She's amazing. Um, and she's dedicated to it. So she'll just sit down and she'll count to a specific length mm-hmm. on both the inhale and the exhale. And she'll just cr- like, kind of like crouch into her diaphragm, slump your posture so that the diaphragm can mm-hmm. relax and do the breath and her heart rate will plummet quickly. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating because you you always think like you would want to open up your chest so that mm-hmm. the breath can get out or something like I yeah, especially when I'm coaching because I'm an exercise scientist, I, like we would never tell anyone to slump over in between. It's really interesting. Yeah. 
it was something that her, one of her strength and conditioning coaches out of Landlow mm-hmm. uh, told her to do. And I'd never really thought about it because I just don't think in that realm really. Um, but she was like, oh yeah, he told me that I should just kind of sit down and slump over because it relaxes the diaphragm. And then I did it and I was like, damn, <laughs> that's great. Cause usually I just lay on my back and I'll go, it's much easier for me to go into breathing. Mm-hmm. But I think trying to hold a tall posture when your sympathetic nervous system is like going hard is much more, more complicated on trying to take deeper breaths because you're also utilizing muscles to stay erect mm-hmm. and upright. Whereas if you can just slouch or if you can just lie down, your muscles can relax and you can focus on what's necessary at that point in time. Yeah, because that's what everybody wants to do, right? It's always like between rounds, you want to like double over. That's what your body's asking to do. Yeah. But you're like, no, no, you've got to like stand up. And I mean, there's there's multiple things to that. Of course, you want to look like you're not tired to the judges, but right. <laughs> and to your opponent if, if you are competing. Yeah, What definitely. about the what about the movement side of that? So before we're on air, you're saying your movement and breathwork coach, how do they work together? What's the movement side? So I do movement paired with breathing. And this is what I learned in that yoga teacher training is to make the movement as long as the breath cycle. So if we're doing a bridge position, mm-hmm. repetitions of bridge and say we're at a 10 second inhale and a 10 second exhale, people are taking 10 seconds to bridge their hips up to the full capacity and then 10 seconds to lower back down. So then you're in hyper control of your system. But that, what having breath ratios paired with movement does is Mm -hmm. it syncs up the cycles of the body so that everything is on the same page. So your brain is moving at this specific pace because you're counting the breath. Mm -hmm. Your respiratory is moving at this specific pace because you're counting the breath. Your body is moving at this specific pace because you're counting the breath. Therefore the heart will start to move in sync with the respiratory system because of the pace of the breath. So linking movement, sorry, go ahead. Mm, No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Um, So linking movement along with the breath just creates more of a restorative balance for the body, for the physical Mm -hmm. body as a whole. Injuries happen in most cases, obviously not like on full impact, but in most cases injuries happen because of imbalances that we're not paying attention enough because we all work off of momentum in these sports, right? Mm -hmm. Especially fighting. Things are off of momentum and force. We need the recovery to be the opposite of that. And in most athletic lives, I guess, um, the recovery needs to be the opposite of what the traditional is. Like, what are we doing on a regular day? If we're running every day or practicing momentum every day, what we need to do also every day is practice being in complete control of our body so that we're getting the mm-hmm. kind of yin yang balance. I get you. For a second, I was going to be like, that's almost counterintuitive, right? If you're thinking about doing a bridge and it's a strengthening exercise, so your parasympathetic, or sorry, your sympathetic nervous system is activated because you're exercising. But when you, when you explain it like that, that it's, it is a movement practice, but it's a parasympathetic movement practice. That's, you know, not necessarily focused on strengthening, maybe as a byproduct, doing a slow and controlled movement has a lot of benefits, particularly when you're injured. And of course, for the things that you were just stating, so that it's the, a different purpose than what it is when we're doing it in sympathetic mode. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And it, you know, it makes us really fucking aware 
mm. of what is going on. When you're taking 10 seconds to extend into a bridge or extend into a hamstring stretch, you're going to notice all the nuances, especially if you do them in repetition. And I tend to do more stuff in repetition rather than long hold stretches, mm. but more stuff in repetition so that people can start to feel the way that the muscle fibers work and notice the nuances of if the knee turns in or the foot turns out, or if the foot flexes all the way, or if the toes tend to point, or if the hip rotates in or rotates out. The slower that you go and the more that you can be present with that because of the pace of the breath, Mm-hmm. just the better you're going to get to know your body and understand why you have little tweaks and pains here and there, and then process that into why you move certain ways, why your kicks don't work as effectively as they could, or why you're not able to bridge an opponent off of you. Wow. Oh, I'm so excited to start thinking about putting that into some of my practices. Um, yeah. I'd be happy to send you some practices too. Yeah. So that you can check them out. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, what about the other end of the spectrum, which I suppose not, this is not really the other end of the spectrum because like we just saw everybody has anxiety and, and other mental health related mm. things, but how does breath work work in that side of situation with clients? That's some of my, some of my favorite work to do. You know, um, I think it's really difficult to explain what happens because it's not as tangible as if you do a weight loss program or strength and conditioning program, or you work with a nutritionist to adjust these things. What happens with breath work is that it's doing the work without you really being able to see what it's doing. And just like we would strengthen muscles, just like we would make ourselves more mobile, we need to do the same thing with the nervous system. So as how it usually goes in breathwork programs when I do like six to eight week programs with people mm-hmm. is they start out and they're like, this is awesome. This feels fucking great. This is so good. I don't really feel a difference, but I feel a little happier. And then like a couple weeks in the anxiety hits <laughs> of all the work that that's been going on in the recalibrating of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And we have to work that out just like You have to train out of an injury. You have to train the patterns and habit out of your nervous system as well. So things tend to get really uncomfortable and kind of peak. And then there's like this let off where they can kind of settle back into it again. And usually it's the same. Well, I don't know if it's the breath work or if it's something else because it's so subtle that it's like you can't grasp it, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And then a lot of clients will say, I don't really know how to describe the benefits. I guess I just feel like stronger but like not like physically, but like somewhere in here, I feel stronger. So I think that's how it works. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense, but you work the anxiety and the nervousness and the stress out of your system. And then you're better able to self-regulate, which lessens the stresses that are going on inside your system and then allows you to deal more effectively with the stresses that are going on outside. Definitely. For... For someone who has experienced something quite traumatic and they're stuck in that kind of maladaptive response, which is what we would generally describe as PTSD, just a maladaptive nervous system, right? Um, What happens then? Because I think like a six-second breath or an eight-second breath for some of my clients, that's that would be incredibly overwhelming. To focus on that is almost akin to meditating. And meditation is kind of this double-edged sword where if you're 
spending time just focusing on yourself and your thoughts, then lots of bad thoughts can almost flood in and it can overwhelm your nervous system and become almost re-traumatizing in of itself. Does that come up with breath work or sort of how do you approach things like that? I think it's, well, it's really hard, you know, and clients who have PTSD or underlying things going on, I always encourage them to see a therapist in addition, right? Because I'm, I'm not a therapist and there are mm-hmm. things that show up in breath work that need to be worked out with somebody who's not me. They need to be worked out with a professional. But surprisingly enough, a six count inhale, an eight count inhale, a 10 count inhale, the same on the exhale. It's amazing how much easier it becomes to focus on it and to focus, well, to focus on the breathing and not focus on the physical experience that you're having when you're doing one, two, three, four, five, six inside your head over and over and over again. And a lot of the encouragement that I give clients is, you know, notice what's going on in the background, notice what you feel, and then redirect it to the one, two, three. The redundancy of the count becomes kind of nurturing for people, you know, like kind of like uh, rocking is for babies. It becomes this thing. They know the next step. They know exactly the next step. Mm-hmm. Five comes after four, six comes after five, start again. And the rhythm keeps kind of moving. So after they get used to it, and plus you can always adjust the pace. Sure, you can be really like calm and try to push yourself sometimes on days where you're feeling strong with a slower count. Mm-hmm. But if you're not feeling super strong that day, one, two, three, four, five, six, you're still accomplishing the goal of the six counts. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be six seconds. You're just getting to the end, to the goal that I'm asking, which is encouraging in ways that are very subtle. So the the work for somebody, say, for example, thinking, okay, there's all these examples of people finding benefit from doing martial arts. I'm going to go start jujitsu. I am really struggling with anxiety. Is it quite the same as athletes trying to incorporate breath work into their practice? They're also breathing before, during, and after, what would be your recommendation there? I think it's a little bit harder if you're just beginning. But I've worked with people to do like a six-week breathwork course before they begin Mm -hmm. something like that. Because especially women who have experienced trauma, because it gives them this reserve tank that is not going to be taught to them inside the gym when they walk in and there's an overwhelming amount of men and an underwhelming amount of women. Mm-hmm. And then they have this thing, this tool in their toolbox where they're like, I can recenter, I can pull back. Or if I'm putting in too much effort, I can just pull back. If I start to freak out, I can pull back. I work with clients who have asthma or fighters who have asthma as well mm-hmm. and have had great results with them in terms of stopping them from having, well, they're doing it themselves. They're stopping themselves from having an asthma attack because they're working so hard at the breath work every other day. And that's because they're so aware of their breath. They're noticing before it becomes an asthma attack that it's starting to change or. Yeah. You can, because when you do the breath work, especially retentions and suspensions, mm-hmm. you can feel the slight movement of the muscles and in the intercostals of the diaphragm of the abdomen. You can feel these little spasms that start to happen. And they're the same spasms that happen before anxiety. And they're the same spasms that happen before an asthma attack. So you start to tune into those and then you can pull back control. You can back off 
how much you're pushing. You can start breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, breathing in through the nose, out through the nose, and you can deregulate yourself rather quickly. Cool. So I think you've got a heap of different breathwork practices and I kind of had like a bit of a broad look at some of them. One that was really interesting to me was the, the cooling breath thing. Yeah. The tongue. The yeah. Tongue the, ta- the, the taco tongue. Yeah. The, ta- yeah. the taco tongue, which people can go back. I think that's fairly recent on your Instagram to have a yeah. look through if they want to find. So how can cooling breath cool us down? So with that one, did you do it at all? Did you do the practice? I did. Yeah. And I, I kind of found that at the start, like you said, yeah, it was quite drying on my throat because I suppose that the, the purpose of breathing through our nose is that we have all those little nose hairs that warm the breath and make it slide nicely. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is a good practice for people who have broken noses and have not gotten them fixed yet Mm -hmm. because it doesn't require breathing through the nose, but the taco tongue is a valve mm-hmm. that you use to restrict the breath. So when you pull air across the top of the tongue because of how many re- nerve receptors are there, mm-hmm. it's always going to be cool. It's not going to be hot. Even if you're in a sauna and you do that sipping sort of breath and it travels over the top of the tongue because mm-hmm. you have your first, it's going to be cool. So that sends sensations throughout the rest of you. Same reason that it's good to drink ice water when you're overheating mm-hmm. to get that cold immediately into your mouth so that it starts to cool off the rest of your body. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely going to try that in the sauna <laughs> next time. Yeah, sorry. I hadn't tried it in the sauna, but I'm definitely interested in that. Um, and what about sleep? So how does breathwork improve sleep? That's my favorite. Um, so this is the one that I do a lot of programs mm-hmm. with, um, with people. And I incorporate what's called alternate nostril breathing. Um, if you've done yoga, you're probably fairly familiar with it. Or for those of you who have, it's breathing out one nostril and then in one and then switching and breathing out one and then in one. Mm -hmm. That has proven to be the most effective in terms of sleep for people and practices where there's a longer exhale. Mm -hmm. Now, again, when you're doing a breath practice, you're just deregulating your nervous system. Even if it's more of a sympathetic breath practice, you're still deregulating your nervous system. A lot of the reason that people don't sleep is because this is so busy because the nervous system is so busy, right? Mm -hmm. There's all this amped up energy. So the more that you improve the parasympathetic and bring it up to speed to support the sympathetic, the easier it's going to be when you lay down to go to sleep. But the biggest thing about finding better sleep is letting off the pressure, Mm -hmm. right? If you're doing breath work to support recovery, And say, especially for women, if you're struggling to sleep some nights, it can be hormone related and there's nothing that we can do about that. When you're regulated through breath work though, you can think and like check mark things off. Am I stressed about a conversation? Am I stressed about work that I need to do? Are my hormones going crazy? Is it the food that I eat? Did I drink caffeine? You're regulated enough that you can think thoughtfully through the actions of the day that might be affecting your sleep. And then the ones that you can problem solve, you can problem solve. The ones like hormones that you can't necessarily problem solve right away, you can turn on Netflix and chill the fuck out about it, right? Like it helps us to just regulate the stress that we have and pick our battles with stress. 
so many people come to me and they're like, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. You know, I go to bed at 10 and I think I should go to bed earlier, but I don't like to go to bed earlier. And then I go to bed at 10 and then I lay awake for three hours because I'm in bed because I don't like to go to bed earlier. And it's like madness, right? That's a madness Mm -hmm. cycle. That's insanity. So getting them practices that support sleep that they do either at the end of the day when they quit work or when they decide to lay down in bed, do this practice. And then most people come back to me and they're like, I fell asleep halfway through the practice, (laughs) which is great. (laughs) That's yeah. With the in one nose and I just covered my mouth while speaking with the in one nose and then out the other nose nostril is, is part of that function making sure both the airways are clear because I, I mean, I've dabbled a little bit in it and I tend to notice that one is stuck and whenever one is stuck, I just kind of give up on it. I'm like, well, I can't breathe through that nostril. It's stuck. <laughs> but I just, I'm just like, I'll just go back to just breathing through both nostrils at once. So the body's really cool. Yeah. Um, it has its own cycles where it slightly closes off one nostril for about, like, I think the average they say is 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. It closes off one nostril so that you're breathing predominantly through the other side of the nose. And then after 90 minutes, that switches. Now it does that because when you breathe through the nose, not only does it filter the air and regulate the temperature, but, and also this is super important for mouth breathers out there, breathing through your nose activates the muscles in the jaw and in the throat to keep you from going lax and getting sleep apnea and snoring and things like mm-hmm. that. So that's a little side note, but the alternate nostril breathing actually, like it's a direct passage to target the endocrine system. It goes straight into the hypothalamus and starts to target the endocrine system. It does get hard. My right nostril is the one that's usually blocked. It does get hard to breathe consistently through one side of the nose, but you just keep pushing it because nose breathing begets nose breathing and mouth breathing begets mouth breathing. So when it's uncomfortable, we want to push it a little bit harder unless there's absolutely no air going through. Mm -hmm. Like when you have a cold and you go to do something like that and you can't get any air up there. If you're even slightly sipping air up through the nose, you're doing a good job. Cool. Okay. Because I was always thinking like, then when I go to sleep, like I'm only getting half of the nose air. So I guess my body will give up and then just switch to mouth breathing, but it's more like a repetition thing. It's more my body switches to mouth breathing because it's probably what I'm doing most of the time during the day if I'm not conscious of it. So spending all that time is starting to teach our body, you know, our brain's in neuroplastic. So I guess it's our brain, our body, same thing, right? Um, Yeah, that the habit is breathing through your nose so that you do avoid things like sleep apnea, which is a significant health concern that I think a lot of people don't think about. And I think about it with like dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. And the number of diseases that probably come because the neural pathways start to shut down because we're breathing through our mouth, because all of this has become lax because it got hard somewhere to breathe through the nose. But just like you would practice repetitively any sort of technique you do the same with breath it's just uncomfortable because it's the thing that we survive off of so sacrificing the comfort of breathing for the discomfort of what can change and say like a week or two is really difficult for people it's a head fuck like breath is the thing that we need the most it's the only thing that like if you're without breath for minutes let's just say 
not Wim Hof, not like practicing breath deprivation. Mm -hmm. If you're without breath for minutes, you will pass out. If you then go without breath for longer, then there's significant brain damage and then there's death, right? So we have to have it and we need to exercise it because it is the foundation of our body's functioning and ability to function. What about breathing through your chest versus through your stomach? I guess I've heard some people saying that we breathe through our chest because that's what models on TV and everything does because like it makes us look fat if we breathe through our stomach and you should breathe through your stomach. What's your stance on where you should breathe from? So the, the process of the breath is that when you inhale, the intercostal muscles between the ribs and mm-hmm. the diaphragm engage to pull the rib cage open. Mm -hmm. so that the lungs can fill to maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, when the diaphragm engages, it fills down into the abdomen. And as it pushes down into the abdomen, it displaces your internal organs, causing your stomach to push down and out. When you exhale, the contraction of the intercostal muscles and the diaphragm release. So the diaphragm moves back up. So the belly comes back in Mm -hmm. and internal organs move back to their space and the lungs empty. So it's not breathing with our chest and breathing with our belly. It's we can switch the intention. Like if you think about breathing with the belly, it's going to be more relaxing. If you think about breathing with the chest, it's going to be more stimulating, Mm -hmm. but you're still breathing with all of it. It's still a necessary process that everything in your torso should move for nice deep breaths. If it's all through the diaphragm, I just thought of this now, this might be nothing, but if there's people say the diaphragm spasming, that's hiccups. Can you use breath work to cure hiccups? Have you tried that? I don't know. <laughs> that I've never heard. That's really next time I Next time I get hiccups, I'm going to see if I can do a breath work practice and if it fixes yeah. it. You should if yeah. you can just do like a six count inhale and a six count exhale. Interesting. I'm going to try that too. If anyone else wants to try it and let us know how it goes too. Yeah, Cause I bet, I bet I won't get hiccups now for like months because I've just said, right. but I, I want to test it You're out. Just thinking about it, fix them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether hiccups are mental. I really don't understand them to be honest. Who does? I don't either. And I don't think much about them either. I'm like, Oh, I have the hiccups. <laughs> oh, I don't have the hiccups anymore. Yeah. Unless yeah. you get really like intense hiccups. Anyway, that's probably a little bit off topic. So we've talked about the importance for breath work is incredible, right? Everything, sleep, um, for athletes, for anxiety, and for really anybody in between, I think can benefit a lot from, from breath work, but particularly in my line of work in, in working with women with PTSD using kickboxing, I'm very interested in the anxiety side of the breath work. Um, And I think a lot of the listeners listening to this podcast are either interested in athletic performance or anxiety. And I think if you think about the two of those, everybody who does an athletic pursuit gets anxiety because even if it's just acute, you know, when you're competing or something like that, we all get super nervous and then our nervous system goes crazy and haywire. So what would be like a five-minute breathwork practice that people could use maybe this is like a similar one you could use either before a competition or also if you can feel some of those feelings of anxiety starting to come up and you're wanting to center yourself yes 
<laughs> I do want to touch on one thing that I was thinking about before. Yes. Uh, with anxiety and stress and depression, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes that can actually be a result of the diaphragm not being in proper motion okay. as well. So if the diaphragm is stuck, it can then be causing those sensations and movement. So uh, a grounded breath practice or a very simple breath practice can start to help alleviate some of that tension over time as well. Now, as far, do you want me to walk you through a five minute practice? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Let me pull myself up here. So I just know the time. Okay. So usually what I cue people to do, especially beginners is to lie down. You don't have mm -hmm. to lie down. <laughs> so you'll just go ahead and close your eyes mm -hmm. and you're just going to lean back. I just want you to kind of relax your posture. Let yourself settle in. And you're going to start breathing in and out of the nose. And the tongue is latched to the roof of the mouth. Your lips are sealed. And your teeth are slightly separated so that the jaw is relaxed. Now you'll begin to deepen the inhale. And lengthen the exhale. And at first, as you start doing that, I just want you to think about the process that I talked about. What happens when you inhale? And what happens when you exhale? Really feel that in your body. Now you'll begin to count the length of the inhale to six seconds. And the length of the exhale to six seconds as well. And remember that you're in charge of the count, the speed and the pace at which you choose. And also remember that if you're new to this sort of practice, it's okay to be uncomfortable with a six second inhale and a six second exhale. And you'll just listen to the sound of your breathing. And the sound of your count. And after the next time that you inhale, you're going to hold the breath for two seconds. And then after the exhale, you'll hold the breath out for two seconds. 
just getting a full stop to the inhale and a full stop to the exhale. Noticing some of the background noise, the distractions that show up in your mind. And then just returning to the count of the breath. And in those two seconds where you retain the inhale and suspend the exhale, try to relax physically, like your insides become heavy and drop when your posture softens. Pulling the attention back to the inhale, the retention, the exhale, and the suspension. And on your next cycle of breath, you'll drop the retention and the suspension. Just returning to a six-second inhale and a six-second exhale. Just noticing the space that exists mentally or physically after releasing the retention and the suspension. And then you'll just let the count go. And breathing naturally, whatever that is for you now. And just noticing how you feel both physically and mentally.
And then just opening the eyes when you're ready. Amazing. How was that? That was really cool. Um, in the like the suspension and then the retention, like the two, the two second pauses, suspension retention, mm-hmm. could like really feel my heart beat doing the the two beats. Like the one two was quite in my head as like the pulse, um, and then it was like a bit softer when I was breathing in and out. That was what I was trying to follow, and that. That felt amazing. Cool. Good. Good. I'm glad you got to do it. It might have been more than five minutes. I really lose track of time there. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, not, I think it'd be really good for everyone to jump into because you can, if you're listening to this just on a podcast, then of course you don't need to have seen anything because your eyes are closed anyway. And then if you're right, watching it, it <laughs> then, you, then you can have watched it. But and- yeah. I think just basic, like the most basic practice for people to start with is just a six second inhale mm-hmm. and a six second exhale. That is going to sync up the respiratory rate with the heart rate but on its own. Mm-hmm. And you'll just start to notice and feel differences in that, right? Just in that pacing. Now that was, for most of those five minutes, you were breathing five breaths per minute. I think the average is anywhere between like 20 and 24 breaths a minute mm-hmm. for people. So it's quite a reduction in how many breaths people are actually taking. Yeah. And does that mean, are you getting more oxygen if you're taking less breaths or are you breathing out more carbon dioxide if you're taking less breaths or? I don't really think so. I mean, if you're breathing nice and deep, mm-hmm. you're going to be getting a better breath. Mm-hmm. So you're probably going to be getting a better balance of oxygen mm-hmm. and CO2 as opposed to like short, shallow breathing. Your body just doesn't have the processing time to mm-hmm. do the whole gas exchange at the same level that it would do with slow, intentional breath work. So the, and it, uh, sorry, go. In yoga, they say uh, your life is measured not by the number of years, but by the number of breaths that you take. Mm -hmm. So, which is why they're very like uh, big proponents of slowing down, you know, in the yoga tradition and really controlling the breathing. Wow. What in that, in that breathwork practice too, I wanted to ask why we, so we added the suspension and the retention and then we dropped it away. Mm -hmm. What, what is the purpose of doing that? Uh, the purpose, and usually they go a bit higher with the retention and the suspension. Um, Mm -hmm. The purpose, well, a lot of the reason I do it is to build endurance mm-hmm. for the discomfort that happens in those in those moments where you're not doing what your body really wants and knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an endurance exercise for you to be uncomfortable, essentially. Your body's going through a whole process with it, right? The CO2 is building up in the body. Things are becoming uncomfortable. It has a rhythm that it wants to do. Its survival is like, Let's work, bitch. Let's work. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, I'm in control, right? So the more that that ramps up, the more uncomfortable that it becomes. But then eventually there's a tipping point where the more it becomes peaceful, like that time where you don't breathe and mm-hmm. you don't hear the sound of your breath and all you hear is the sound of the counting or even the sounds that your body naturally makes Yeah, becomes a soothing effect. 
But then when you take it away, Mm. then you notice all this space about how it's much easier to breathe and much more natural to breathe at a slower rate because you've exercised it in specific ways. And that's the same thing for lengthening the inhale and lengthening the exhale. Love it. I think we've learned so much about breathing today on this podcast. Um, If anybody... Actually, first of all, do you have any advice for people wanting to start martial arts or people wanting to sort of get into breath work at at this point in time? I guess COVID is a little bit different, but I like to ask that question kind of just if the world was a little bit different, you know, what what is your advice for people getting into martial arts and getting into breath work? I think both things, you just have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the biggest problem with motivation these days is that we don't execute action with motivation. Mm -hmm. Like we're kind of dragging our heels on a lot of things. It will never be comfortable to start breath work Mm -hmm. and it will never be comfortable to start martial arts. And we just kind of have to grit and grind. And especially for women, just you are way stronger than you think you are. Get out there and show it, prove it to yourself and feel that strength and be consistent and be committed because that's one of the things that women struggle with the most is the consistency and the commitment to it. Whereas for men, it seems a little bit easier for them. So go do it. <laughs> yes. <COVID> is done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, you know, start doing an online breathwork course. You know, you could do an eight week yeah. breathwork course. And then by that time, who knows where the world would be at. So that's a nice right. segue into how do people find you? How do they find your yeah. programs? How can they work with you? Can they work with you online? Yes. So I work specifically online because I really like people to be in their houses and in their space when doing breathwork and movement stuff so that they don't have to change their state so much afterwards. It's not like they have to get in a car and leave and drive through traffic and do all of that. They do the breathwork practice and then they have as much time as they've allotted afterwards to just do it, to do their thing. So I do specialty programs for people and have a certain number. I think I just have two sections opening up for private clients this week. And then I have a morning ritual program, which is something that Mallory's on. And every morning you wake up and there's a specific exercise that you do, a specific goal in mind with that, and a mindset technique, and then a movement technique. And that's just an ongoing subscription-based thing. Now, my website is wtfempire.com. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of look through my stuff there. But to start a program, like a one-on-one program, just contact me. You can t- contact me through the website or on Instagram at WTF State of Minds, um, Facebook, WTF Yoga, WTF, <laughs> all WTF. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll put the links to all those in the show notes as well as the HRV article that you mentioned. Yeah, so I'll send that to you. Um, and I guess if, yeah, if anyone's not sure where to start, whether they'd be better starting with the morning ritual or they'd be better to start with a one-on-one, they can just contact you and, and ask you where they would yeah. be best at. And just always, I'm always game to answer questions and talk about how it can be effective without necessarily like needing to purchase anything. I just want to share it with people and let them know what it can do and how it can help support them. Absolutely. I think looking, if anyone even just went, didn't go to your website and went to your Instagram and just like went through all of the like categorized different challenges that you've done, you could easily go through and, and work through all of those and yeah. get heaps out of that. Yeah. 
I did that 30 day challenge, mindfulness challenge. I started at post ACL surgery, like immediately post ACL surgery to just like keep my mind focused on what I know works. And it was so effective, obviously I'm biased, but it was Mm. so effective for me to like have this thing to do every day Mm -hmm. to keep my mindset on this, just this 10 minute thing max that I'm going to do every day. And I think that's really important for people is creating that space Mm -hmm. where we carve out 10 minutes that's just for us. And we do something that's going to take care of us without the busyness of the world. Absolutely. I love it. How long post ACL are you now? Uh, Seven and a half months. Mm. So you're nearly at the nine month mark. Yeah. Get me there fast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Anything else you want to share with everyone? Not that I can think of. Thank you so much for this. It was awesome. I love chatting with women and I love helping women help other women and just getting this information out there. Breathwork is going to be a big thing within the next couple of years, a much bigger thing than it is now. So it's cool to like be seeing that grow. Definitely. Definitely. I'm excited to see it grow. I'm excited to see the WTF empire grow. Um, I I love that. I can say it like uh, seeing your empire grow. (laughs) Yes, that's what I want. And yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. Great. Thank you so much for this time, Georgia. It was great chatting with you. To Adrian. Have a great day. Too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Fight Back podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube. Leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy um, in episode eight of the Fightback podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Sega. See you next time. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. Half in nothing, no complacence. To many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster. They hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history. I move boulders, Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me. They can't chronicle 
all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability no one they won't step if i'm the agent of my agency i think i found my voice again huh i think i found my voice again huh i'm not sorry i'm not sorry you're the end where i begin boundaries i know them well take a breath and meditate who is she i know her well now i get to open gates one two one two i don't need your permission and if you get uncomfortable then use your intuition to know that i won't stay where respect is ever missing and everything i do that's me making decisions it's truly underrated the value of self-worth forgot that i was rich from the moment of my birth a penny for my thoughts no really you can't afford it you cannot buy my story rewrite it or record it you cannot buy my story rewrite it or record it huh?